blood-curdling greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. It's greatly appreciated. Those tunes you just heard are, as always, courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and I, of course, am your host, Tessa Morrow. Today we find ourselves in... Leavenworth. That's right. Leavenworth, Kansas. Visiting the United States' second oldest army post west of D.C. and the oldest active army post west of the Mississippi River. Impressive, right? But wait, there's more. Established by Henry Leavenworth in 1827, making Fort Leavenworth the first settlement in the Kansas Territory. A whopping 5,600 acres and... 1,000 buildings, and 1,500 quarters. Fort Leavenworth originally opened as Cantonment Leavenworth, but changing its name in early 1932. Now, it proved to be a crucial and important location when it comes to the United States' most historical wars and conflicts, such as the Indian Removal Act in 1830, the Kansas-Nebraska Act in 1854, the American Civil War in 1860, World War I in 1914, and World War II in 1939. Just a couple years of Fort Leavenworth's existence, it is evacuated in mid-1829, which is then occupied by the Kickapoo Indians. This does not last too terribly long, and a few months later, they do take back the fort. Now, in 1875, the official United States Disciplinary Barracks opens in Building 467, making it the Department of Defense's only maximum security prison. It's able to hold over 1,000 inmates, and ultimately it does shut down in 2002. Disciplinary actions, and I'm not saying a slap on the wrist in detention at school. No. This was for hardened criminals, ranging from rapists to murderers and much more. Many would wait here to die and eventually be executed. More on some of those executions in just a little bit. Now, Fort Leavenworth is considered to be excruciatingly haunted. Tower 8, for instance. Word is that shortly after the opening of this tower, a soldier goes in there and he does sadly commit suicide. Shortly after this heartbreaking incident takes place, guards began to see this apparition or mist walking about the tower. Now, this isn't just a one type encounter. There have been several upon several sightings of this man who they believe is the man who killed himself. Now, one thing you must know about Tower 8, there was no phone. But other buildings would get these random phone calls, often filled with sounds of unexplained static. Where were these calls coming from? Supposedly, Tower 8. Phantom phone calls? I've heard of stranger things. Now, the original St. Ignatius Chapel burns to the ground in 1875. Now, sadly, the parish priest, Father Fred, dies in this fire. 
The full-bodied apparition of Father Fred has been seen roaming the area, ready for his holy duty, as he is still in his priest's robe. He has also been witnessed walking up and down the stairs and in the kitchen as well. Now, several years ago, people were there getting together for, I believe, some type of event, maybe a dinner, when one of the guests goes to take a picture, and in it they capture this figure in a robe, believed to be Father Fred. The original chapel was not the only one to be claimed via Inferno. In December of 2000, the chapel bursts into flames and is completely and utterly destroyed. The general residence on 1 Scott Avenue is believed to be haunted by none other than General George Custer. His apparition has been seen throughout the first floor of the old residence. Now, he was court-martialed here in 1867 for leaving his command and not treating his men right. He was found guilty and given a one-year suspension without pay. The Rickery is a duplex, 12 and 14 summer place, and it is the oldest house on base. This location is believed to be extremely haunted by several resident spirits. Built in 1832, it's thought to be the most haunted residence, not only in Fort Leavenworth, mind you, but in the state of Kansas. One spirit at the Rookery is that of a nasty woman. She's rather aggressive. She has been known to run at people with her nails out, ready to attack. It's believed that this poor woman was either attacked or even murdered. Another spirit is that of a little girl who people have bore witness to her throwing tantrums. And yet another spirit, an elderly woman often seen in the corner, well, looks like she is conversing with herself. Some have reported that while in bed, they have seen an elderly gentleman with bushy and messy hair. And in 14 Summer Place, a lieutenant colonel and his family, they move in. And almost immediately, the family, they begin to experience these weird and odd things. that Just things that they simply cannot explain. Home sweet home? More like bizarre home bizarre. One day, the wife, she cannot find her cell phone anywhere. She can't make head or tails over it. Where the hell did I put that phone? She searches high, low. She searches everywhere in that house. It is nowhere to be seen. Then the remote for the digital video recorder, well, that vanishes as well. And well, you know how sometimes things happen in threes? Yeah, suddenly the home wireless phone goes MIA as well. Fast forward, if you will, to one night. The family, they are out, they're enjoying a great dinner in each other's company. Well, the lieutenant, he's looking through his wife's purse for something, and he is shocked to see the cell phone, the remote control, and yes, the wireless house phone, all there and accounted for and stacked nicely on top of one another in her purse. This family, they experience different things like the opening of doors and closing by themselves, lights turning off and on when no one is near the switch at all, footsteps coming and going, even the sound of furniture being moved around. Now, one evening, 
the lady of the house. She asks her son, hey, please turn off the basement light. Well, it's thought that he did this, but she later notices that the light is still on. Mm, Okay, kids are kids, I guess. She goes downstairs to turn it off herself. And by the time she reaches the top of the stairs and looks back down, yeah, you guessed it, the light is back on. Sumner Place, not to be confused with Summer Place, is haunted by a woman who is often seen wearing an old black dress along with a shawl. She is believed to have been a nanny long ago, and she continues to kind of look after the house and the residence as she did while she was alive. She loves children, no doubt about that, and there have been several reports from families that she has spoken to the children, and she likes to calm them down when they're upset. And I saw that one child shared with his mom and dad that this really nice lady would often come over when he was younger and read him a book as he began to fall asleep. Well, later on, mom and dad did come upon an old book that they had never seen before in their lives. And while she's a total sweetheart to the children, she has been known, I hate to say it, to be aggressive towards any type of motherly figure. Mothers, grandmothers, nannies, babysitters, and what have you. Some have actually even felt a push when going into the child's room or nursery. Kind of like a little shove, like, hey, I got this. You just go on now. Move along with your day. It's said that the family had enough in 16 Sumner Place and decide to have an exorcism. Now, it supposedly worked a little, but it's thought that she did stick around and went over to the next door, which is 18 Sumner Place. Oops. Many walkers and passerby have claimed to have seen her looking out the window of the attic. Now, speaking of 18 Sumner Place, one evening a family witnesses the apparition of a woman at their dinner sink, and she's washing their dishes. Uh, okay, she's a keeper. She could totally come to my house anytime. The family, you know, they share that while on the stairs, at times, they would feel something brushing up against them. And then immediately after that, they would feel this intense, noticeable cold spot. And yet another haunted location at Fort Leavenworth is at 605 McLean. Location of McLean Officers Quarters. It's a beautiful three-story home. And in 1975, this family, they move in. And they soon notice things happening there that they just cannot explain. For instance, with their own eyes, they saw a door to the back of the house open, fling open all on its own then with enough force manages to slam itself shut. This is followed by rather heavy footsteps running up the vacant stairs. The house was checked and nobody was there. One night, something truly bizarre occurred to this poor family. They're enjoying each other's company. They have a nice fire going. You know, I I love that during the winter time when I'm here in Colorado and you have that that fire crackling just the sound of it the smell of it the warmth I mean it's it's a good feeling I love it so here these people are this family just spending time together enjoying the fire 
when suddenly an apparition of a man with a thick goatee presents himself in the flames of this fire. And it eventually dies out. And to the family's horror, they could still see this man's face. But now, not in the flames, obviously, but it was on the back of the fireplace. The third floor was unoccupied, but the sounds that came from up there, you would think a family of raccoons were living up there or something. They would hear everything from thumping sounds, scratching sounds, and just so many other types of things that they should not be hearing when there's nobody or nothing up there. Sometime in the 1980s, a new family, they move in. One early morning, the man of the house walks into the bathroom only to find that it is already being occupied. Access denied. A strange man, tall, with dark hair, is standing there, and he is shaving with an old-fashioned razor. Now, some time goes by and his daughter wakes up one morning to see what's believed to be the same man her father had seen. This time, he was in full army uniform and staring down at her as he stands over her. Just a little creepy. Just a little. The Sheridan home, located at 611 Scott Avenue, the wife of General Philip Sheridan, is thought to haunt this home. She is a negative and bitter spirit. It seems she never forgave her husband, who, while she was on her deathbed, left to go to Chicago to tend to a business trip. I believe she did die during that time and she never forgave him. So she kind of takes it out on the people there. Just a nasty woman. Now, Fort Leavenworth, National Cemetery, and Prison Cemetery, the latter is referred to as United States Disciplinary Barracks Cemetery. It's very haunted. Many have seen full-bodied apparitions walking about. Now, 298 soldiers who died here at the disciplinary barracks are buried here. 58, well, they are in unmarked graves. The Sutter family, or sometimes referred to as the Rich family. Family consisting of the mother, Catherine, the husband, Harem, and their two young children, Ethan and Mary. They were traveling, I believe from Indiana, and they were heading to the Oregon Territory. The year, well, it was 1880. They were deadbeat tired, you better believe it, from their long travels, and they sought to take a break. Well, Hiram, he sends Mary and Ethan to go get firewood as they set up camp. Hours go by, and the children, well, they're nowhere to be seen. Not a chuckle, a giggle, a footstep, nothing. No sighting. Where are they? Heartbroken, the distraught parents, they search for those kiddos. Catherine Sutter, she never gave up and religiously searches for those babies. She spent countless hours searching the grounds of the fort, desperately crying out for her children. Mary! Ethan! Mary! Children, where are you? Sadly, the mother catches pneumonia and she dies. She is buried at Fort Leavenworth National Cemetery. Hiram believes that he lost his entire family. He left on this trip with a wife and two children. And now his wife is dead. And his children? Well, he fears they are too. 
Shortly after getting back to Indiana, he receives word that his children, they're alive and well and have been returned to Fort Leavenworth by Indians. It seems that the children, in collecting the wood for the fire, well, they got too close to the creek and they got swept away. Thankfully, they didn't drown. They were actually rescued by the Fox Indians who took them in and cared for them as their own during this incredibly cold, harsh, and unforgiving months of winter. And when it was safe to travel again, as spring approached, they brought them to the fort. Unfortunately, Catherine dies before she could hear that her children were safe. It appears that she is forever in mourning. Her apparition has been seen at the cemetery, lantern in hand, continuing to cry out for her poor children. Ethan, Mary! People have seen her apparition, while others have heard her voice, seeping with heartbreak, defeat, and despair. Those who've seen her say the same thing. She's wearing a calico-type dress and a black shawl. Another spirit that calls the cemetery home is Chief Joseph, a Nez Perce Indian leader who was incarcerated here back in 1877. The chief's apparition has been seen wandering throughout the Sea of Tombs, and Civil War soldiers have been seen here too, and also walk in the nearby forest. Going back to the prison cemetery, there is a sign that reads... This half-acre cemetery was established in 1884 by inmates who died or were executed. They had no next of kin, or the next of kin refused the remains. On the back row are graves of 14 German prisoners of war who were hanged in 1945 for crimes committed while POWs. No family members are buried here. Now, you'll hear more about those 14 German POWs in just a short while. The United States disciplinary barracks is haunted with extreme paranormal activity. It's believed that many who've been executed here, well, they refuse to leave. See that in a lot of prisons where they, you know, had death row. The old disciplinary barracks consisted of 12 towers. Tower 8, which I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, was never manned in the later operational years. Now, one time, a patrol unit sees a man in the tower. He did not belong there, so that was a bit off. But what made it more eerie, well, really, all eerie is all hell, is that this man had a rifle, and it was aimed right at the guard. The tower was thoroughly searched, obviously, And not a single person was there. Not a physical one anyways. Now guards, they have long since reported hearing unexplained sounds, footsteps approaching and hearing knocking at the entrance. When searched, it's always vacant. Building 65 was the prison and the elevator has activity that cannot be explained. Many have heard horrific screams and cries coming from there. And it's just really eerie, apparently. And on the third floor, an area only used for storage, the apparitions of two men have been seen. One is an elderly gentleman in a wheelchair, and he is being pushed by another one. 
Now, Fort Leavenworth is by any means not the only military base or post to be plagued with paranormal activity. Others include West Point, Barksdale Air Force Base, Fort McNair, Joint Base Pearl Harbor, and Japan's Kadena Air Base, and just so many others. So that's just a very tiny list. Now, it's off to the executions. These may be some of the restless souls who continue to stay and haunt Fort Leavenworth. Levy Brandon is convicted of rape, and he's executed via hanging here at the disciplinary barracks in July of 1943. Now, I'm unsure what Edward Reiki did, but it got him a date with the hangman at Fort Leavenworth in August of 1945. And on February 14, 1957, there was a double hanging when Thomas Edwards and Winifred Moore were hanged for premeditated murder and assault. Then, a few weeks later, in April, Ernest Ranson was executed for his laundry list of offenses such as threatening a superior officer with a deadly weapon, premeditated murder, rape, robbery, and assault with a deadly weapon. The following year, in 1958, Abraham Thomas dances on the gallows and swung to eternity. His crime was four counts of murder. You see, Abraham was a U.S. Army soldier turned mass murderer when he brutally claims the lives of two fellow soldiers and their girlfriends. He waits for his execution at the disciplinary barracks where he is denied clemency by Eisenhower and he is hanged the 23rd day of June in 1958 at 12.04 a.m. and is pronounced dead by a prison physician 17 minutes later. Requested by family, his remains are shipped back to his hometown in Georgia for burial. John Day Jr. John Day Jr., he sexually assaults a woman while serving in Korea. Her husband comes to her defense when he is fatally shot by John. Now, a few months later, he is faced with a court-martial and is found guilty of murder and handed down a death sentence. He is to be hanged at Fort Leavenworth. Now, John Day is the first American to get a death sentence during the Korea conflict. His case is considered several times throughout the years, and Dwight Eisenhower finally issues an executive order for the execution to proceed. No more bullshit, no more delays. A date is finally chosen, and justice will soon be served. John Day Jr. will take his last breath on September 23, 1959. Well, you know what? The day has come. He is on the gallows, the day of reckoning. He is on the trapdoor as Colonel Cox reads the death warrant. Chaplains are praying for the condemned man's soul. The sergeants, well, they're binding his arms and legs with straps. The noose, it is placed around the man's neck, the soon-to-be-deceased man's neck. A black bag is put over that head. And at 12.02 a.m., that trapdoor is sprung. He drops breaks his neck in the process, and he is pronounced dead 15 minutes later. He is placed in the coffin and buried in the prison cemetery that very day. And in 1961, Army Private John Bennett has a date with the hangman. 
but the hangman isn't his type. He prefers children, and that's why he is about to die. His crime is an extremely vicious and heinous and unforgiving one. His victim, well, she was only 11 years old when he comes upon the innocent child that day. He went out with hopes in finding a brothel. That would not happen. Bennett enlists in the army at 18. Despite being epileptic, he gets in. Reading up on him, I did read his confession and I felt like I had to take a shower afterwards. It was gut-wrenching what he put this victim through. It's extremely graphic and I think kind of too insulting and graphic to read the whole thing. I do want to read one little tidbit here and you'll see why. And so if you have little kiddos around, you know, cover their ears or have them leave for a second. But this is what he said. I forced my penis into her vagina the rest of the way. Forced, right, is the main word here. Forced, not consensual. Forced. And why would it be consensual? She's 11 years old. He babbles on some more disgusting facts and details. Then he ends with the confession saying this. I wish to state that I did not force her at all. Um, okay, I forced my you-know-what, and now I'm saying I did not force her at all. This guy's a fucking idiot. Excuse my French. I mean, sorry, but what the hell? <laughs> now, this monster not only takes the child, which I consider kidnapping, then brutally rapes her. He then proceeds to strangle this little girl and dumps her body into the river. You know, boom, taking you out, throwing you out like trash, good riddance, whatever. Well, miraculously, everybody, great news, this girl, she survives the brutal attack. Grown men and women have not survived attacks like this. I mean, this is amazing that she did. She finds the home of an army officer and his wife, and they testified at the trial that she was disheveled, she was bloodied and terrified, obviously. She told them that a black man choked her, took off her underwear, and he stuck something inside her. Amazingly enough, the victim and her family, they file a last-minute appeal for clemency. Save his life? Mother of Mary, why would we do that? I don't think so. And thank God, thank God, John Kennedy, he agreed. He refuses clemency and the pervert John Bennett, well, he is hanged. As he stood on the gallows, his final words were, pray for me. <laughs> what, like you prayed for your victim? It should have been pray on me, like you prayed on your victim. April 13th, 1961 marks not only the day of John Bennett's execution, but the final military execution in the United States. Today, there continues to be men on death row waiting for a final date with the executioner, a date that most likely will never come. To name a few, Ronald, he is an American serial killer who between April of 1986 until January of 1987 raped and murdered several women while stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Two of the murders occurred only four days after the other. His victims include an army private, a cab driver, a Campbell University student, 
and the wife of a fellow soldier. The next death rower is Hasten. He murdered a army captain and an Air Force major, and he causes severe injury to 14 others while in Kuwait during the Iraq War. He was on a mission to do as much damage as possible, but unfortunately, it was not against the enemy, but his very own people. Again, like, what the hell? He tosses several hand grenades into tents. Members of his own division, they were sleeping, you know, totally caught off guard, like, you know, most vulnerable. One entry in his journal does share that he believed if he stayed in the army that he would eventually be imprisoned. And guess what, you guys? He was absolutely right. But too bad he penned those words, right, instead of speaking them. The two murder victims, the 14 injured people and their families, I'm sure they all agree. This man, he remains imprisoned at Leavenworth. Timothy, he was a former master sergeant. He goes on a murderous rampage and he kills a Fayetteville, North Carolina woman and her two children. The victim was the wife of an Air Force officer who was away from home on a training trip. A 22-month-old baby was left in the crib unharmed. Like Hasten, Timothy remains imprisoned at Leavenworth. Then we have the Fort Hood shooter, Nidal. He was an Army major and a psychiatrist when he suddenly loses his mind and he opens fire in Fort Hood in Texas. He kills 13 people and he injures 31. He was about to be deployed to Afghanistan. Nidal also remains at Leavenworth. Now, too bad he didn't get death row in Texas. I know it's a military thing and military and executions, what have you, 1961, I know. But, I mean, if this is the case, he killed 13 people, severely injures 31, okay, that's when I would consider you not a soldier anymore. You're not an army major anymore. You are a man who went crazy and murdered a shit ton of people. Let's throw you in Texas. Huntsville, where the most recent execution was like, uh, I don't know, like less than two weeks ago, August 17th, and let's be done with it. Sorry, that's just me. (laughs) I'm sure some of you agree with me, some of you don't. It's all good. But, you know, if that were the case, he surely would have been executed in Texas by now, or at least had an execution date. Just saying. Now, all these men, they remain on death row. But with the military not executing anyone since, as we know, 1961, ending with John Bennett, the pervert, I assume these men will just wait and die natural causes behind bars and not on the gallows or the death chamber. Now, the last executions that I'm going to talk with you about, I mentioned earlier the military prison sign, the 14 German prisoner of war men. Three murders, 14 perpetrators, three different states and incidents, one motive equals 14 executions. The victims who were considered spies, Johannes Kuhns, Werner Dreschler, and Horst Gunther, all three German men are believed to have been communicating with American guards and other authorities. 
giving them important and crucial information and tips regarding their fellow comrades. Spy number one, Wilhelm Johannes Kunz. The year, well, it's 1943. Kunz was being held in Camp Tonkawa in Oklahoma and had been giving notes to an American doctor. Well, some of these people mentioned in those notes were diehard, dedicated, 100% Nazis. Well, one fateful day, his note is handed to another doctor who did not read German. And so I don't know if he had a comrade who would give the notes to this doctor or if he just like figured this doctor will give it to Dr. Smith or whatever. But the doctor opens the letter thinking it's for him. He's like, this isn't German, dudes. I don't read German. So he hands over the note to a fellow German soldier asking him to return it to Kunz. Well, that soldier reads the letter, and yes, uh, obviously he understands German and reads it, and he is infuriated reading this, saying, oh my god, Kunz is a spy. Espion. Yeah, a spy. This seals his fate, and shortly after the discovery, he is beaten to death by several of his fellow soldiers and inmates. Five people were involved in this deadly encounter, those specific individuals being Walter Baer, Hans Dem, Hans Skomer, Willie Schultz, and Berthold Seidel. Spy number two, Werner Dreschler. In 1944, Werner along with his other U-boat prisoners, are captured as POWs after their boat, U-118, sinks. Upon being incarcerated, he is separated from his comrades. He begins to feed this important information to the American authorities, and he is eventually sent to camp in Papago Park, Arizona. Now, by this time, others have heard of his major betrayal. And the day of his transfer, as he was sleeping, some of the men discussed his actions and what should be the consequences. Well, it didn't take long for them to come up with a punishment. Death. And he is beaten and hanged in the shower room. The participants in this murder were Helma Fischer, Fritz Frank, Gunter Coulson, Heinrich Ludwig, Bernhard Reich, Otto Stengel, and Rolf Winsey. The final victim, spy number three, Horst Gunther. In 1944, Horst was a German World War II POW. He was imprisoned in South Carolina. He was believed to be collaborating with the American authorities, and he pays the price via strangulation by Eric Gass and Rudolf Staub. His body is then hanged from a tree, so, you know, when he was come upon, when they found him, it would look like, oh, this gentleman offed himself. Simple suicide via hanging. Before his execution, Rudolf Straub said, What I did was done as a German under orders. If I had not done so, I would have been punished when I returned to Germany. Well, doll, you're not returning to Germany either way. So sorry. President Harry Truman, he declines the 14 murderers' clemency, and they are executed a few short months after Germany surrenders in May of 1945. They are executed in groups of three, five on July 10th, 
two on July 14th, and on August 25th, the final seven were executed. Now, it is said some were taken into a warehouse on base where they marched the death walk to the second floor, and they were hanged from the elevator, dropping into the basement. No wonder the elevator has had some activity in that paranormal department, right? The haunted locations I talked about today at Fort Leavenworth is just the tip of the iceberg. The list is long. A shorter list would be, what's not haunted here at Fort Leavenworth? Now I just want to say, today I mentioned some not-so-good guys that were in the military. But I just have to say that I know there are so many good that outweigh the ones that shouldn't be. And I have so much love and respect for the military. Uh, my grandpa was in World War II and fought the Battle of the Bulge. You know, I have cousins who and friends who were in the military, have friends who still are. And I pray for your guys and gals' safety. You guys are amazing. And you're just loved and appreciated, absolutely. And I know you're not in the same category as the people who I mentioned throughout this episode. So there we go. Just had to say that. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry. Just head on over to any of those podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Owl Tell, Player FM, wherever you may roam to hear your other phenomenal podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Juneau, Alaska. Been there, love it, so gorgeous, want to go back. Boulder, Colorado. Highland Springs, Virginia, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and North Richland Hills, Texas. You know, guys, it is so greatly appreciated. You all are amazing. Be sure to stop by next Monday for the newest episode, and we will see you next week.